If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Charles Payne. I'm Martha McCallum. I'm Greg Jarrett. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Friday, March 1st, 2024. I'm Chris Foster. A Supreme Court decision on whether Donald Trump can even be prosecuted in his already delayed federal election case could be more than three months away, even deeper into the presidential campaign. If President Trump is officially the nominee, then if we're doing debates, but during the day he's stuck in a federal criminal trial, like it's just so strange. But by winning the ability to have the Supreme Court hear his case, he's bought all that time that is in itself a win. We're speaking with Fox News Sunday host Shannon Bream. And Lisa Brady. New research raises an even bigger red flag about junk food and the amount people are eating. Part of the challenge is that when we walk down the street and we're grabbing a snack, it's more readily available to buy a bag of chips than it is to buy an apple. And I'm former acting attorney general Matt Whitaker, and I've got the final word on the Fox News rundown. Mitch McConnell is stepping down as Senate Republican leader in November after a record 17 years on the job. To serve Kentucky in the Senate has been the honor of my life. To lead my Republican colleagues has been the highest privilege. He helped transform the federal judiciary with the Senate confirming three conservative Supreme Court justices and more than 200 lower court judges under McConnell's leadership. A historic case being taken up by the Supreme Court is whether Donald Trump has presidential immunity against prosecution in his federal election interference case that was originally supposed to start next week. Listen, the delay is a win at this point. Even if he loses at the Supreme Court, decision likely by late June, if it follows the protocol that we think it will, could come sooner. But okay, that's the drop-dead deadline. It's by the end of June. Fox News Sunday and Living the Bream podcast host, Shannon Bream. Even then, only does the trial court unpause where it was when this whole thing started, meaning pretrial motions and discovery, a big federal criminal case that can take weeks or months. That means this potentially pushes the start of that trial to September, October. Is that something special counsel Jack Smith is going to want to do that close to an election? They're just it's really tough optics if President Trump is officially the nominee, then if we're doing debates. But during the day, he's stuck in a federal (laughs) criminal trial like it's just so strange, but by winning the ability to have the Supreme Court hear his case, he's bought all that time that is in itself a win. Why couldn't you do all the pretrial motions and pretrial proceedings and hearings concurrently with all Mm -hmm. these appeals and say, okay, once the Supreme Court makes its decision, if Trump loses, bam, we can get going almost right away. When the case officially goes on appeal, the the district court, that trial level court, loses its custody of the case, meaning it can't do anything. It doesn't technically hold on to the case anymore. So it's lost control of the case while it's pending on these appeals, meaning um, I don't know if you remember oh, a while back that there was discovery there. You know what Trump's legal team argues is that there are millions of pages of discovery. This is going to take time. Well, the government was still providing discovery, meaning exchanging material. 
real. And the Trump team fired back and said, oh, no, no, this whole thing's supposed to be on pause. Don't give us stuff that, you know, we would have asked for in the process of a trial. So they wanted everything paused. And that's what happened. So technically, the trial court doesn't have custody of this thing, meaning they couldn't restart it if they wanted to. Got it. Okay. Now, there is some outcry that the Supreme Court has been slow walking this to Trump's benefit. Is that at all a fair assessment? Well, for people who maybe aren't as familiar with the Supreme Court, this is lightning speed. This is them on the super fast track. The fact that they would say, "Okay, we're going to get into this thing and we're going to hear arguments in April, meaning everybody's going to get to fully brief this thing. We are handling this as a case on the merits for them to add it into their already jam packed calendar, which at this point isn't taking any more cases. It actually is quick for them. So it may feel slow by everyday standards, but for them, this is sort of rocket docket action. Well, speaking of the Supreme Court, that's part of Mitch McConnell's uh, lasting legacy, mm-hmm. along with getting a lot of other uh, conservative judges on the bench. He's going to go back to being a regular old senator. Let's talk about his legacy and what he might be remembered for. I think you nailed it. I mean, there's so many things. He was such a, um, he is a really great tactician, much in the way that you would hear people over on the House side talking about former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Like, they know how to get votes done. They know how to negotiate. They know how to procedurally use every bell and whistle that's available in the, uh, just the procedure and the way that things get done to actually get things accomplished. But I do think for Mitch McConnell, so much of that is going to be the justices and the judges that were done under Trump's four-year term. Um, we all remember when, you know, it was still President Trump running for election um, that there was a situation when obviously Justice Scalia passed away and there was a knockdown, drag out fight over trying to get that seat filled by Merrick Garland, now our Attorney General, before uh, the election. And Mitch McConnell locked it down, held it firm. That seat did not get filled by Democrats and it eventually went to Justice Gorsuch. So, I mean, those moments and those judicial appointments, which outlive any senator, any president by sometimes decades, is certainly going to be at the top of his legacy. Uh, Mitch McConnell says he's going to uh, he's going to finish out both jobs that he was elected to do. Mm-hmm. He's going to he'll be uh, his party's leader until November, and he will then finish out his Senate term as elected to it by the people of of Kentucky. Uh, just not run for re-election in 2026. Is this a health thing, or is this a this is a Donald Trump's party now thing, or is it both? To me, it feels like both. I mean, the last time I sit down, did a sit-down interview with him, I mean, you could tell that he's definitely, as most people in their 80s, and especially after having a serious injury that he had last year, but he just moved slower. His mind seemed as sharp as ever. I mean, again, the negotiating and the tactics and the, um, you know, strategizing. But I think physically he's weary. Um, I think the death of his sister-in-law recently was a blow to their family. And I think he can read the writing on the wall. I mean, he sees that politics have changed, that President Trump is running the GOP, not Mitch McConnell. And I think we're going to see that in the the selection of a successor to him. I think that President Trump is going to have a very heavy weight on that scale. Yeah, we'll talk about that in the uh, coming weeks and months, of course. Um, meantime, Mitch McConnell says he's actually looking forward to just um, going back to being <laughs> a regular old senator and maybe, you know, with his feet up and, and watch how it all plays out. Um, Hunter Biden finally gave his deposition this week, uh, as expected. Democrats say that this puts the whole crooked Biden thing to bed. The impeachment inquiry should be, and there's no wrongdoing here. Republicans who say the Bidens are crooked still, of course, say the Bidens are crooked. Do (laughs) do we know much of what was said in there? 
We don't. I mean, other than we, of course, are going to expect that the first son is not going to go in there and say, yes, my father crossed all the ethical lines and so did I and I caused him to do it. I mean, like everybody knew going in like Hunter was not going to say that. Now, what Republicans have come out to say is that there were inconsistencies. There were things that that he and James Biden, the brother of the president, have said that don't line up with other previous statements or the statements of other people like Tony Bobulinski, who was in business with Hunter. So Comer comes out of their sort of victorious, whether it's faux or real in his heart, saying, OK, we're on to the next step, which is this public hearing, which clearly it appears that Hunter's legal team is not very interested in. But he says that's the next phase of the impeachment hearing, that we have uh, plenty of things and plenty of material and we're moving forward. What do you make of this uncommitted movement against the president? Uh, 13 percent mm-hmm. in this Democratic primary in Michigan voting uncommitted. Now, in large part, that was a protest of mm-hmm. the president's support of Israel's war on Hamas. Is Michigan a special case with its large Arab American population, especially in, in some of the cities there, or is this going to spread? And will it matter in November in terms of maybe turnout in close states? We'll see, but I think in Michigan, gosh, people were, uh, they were organized. I mean, to take your effort to go vote for somebody that you know is not going to win, uncommitted, and to do it in such big numbers, I think, was very much an absolute message targeted him over the way that, you know, things are playing out in Gaza. Now, even if it's just confined to that one state, that could really matter. Michigan is a very critical state that he won by a relatively small margin the last time around. So it's not as if those folks um, who voted uncommitted are going to show up and vote for President Trump. But they might just stay home. Um, so that's a real problem. Uh, the White House is, has had a real sensitivity to that particular state and what it says. But even if it just stays there, that's a problem for them, potentially. Uh, this Bloomberg News morning consult polls out. Michigan, six other swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Guess who went over seven and who went seven for seven in those? Mm-hmm. Not good news for the White House. Um, these are critical states where the average across all the states, I think, was about a five point advantage to President Trump. But some of these states that they um, broke out into states that Biden actually won in 2020, uh, Trump had a six point lead in those states. So this should be alarm bells for the White House. Again, they keep feeling like all right, the economy is approving. People are going to feel better the closer we get to the election um, and people will come home. You know, they're going to come home to vote for me because they're not going to want the chaos of President Trump. Both of them point the finger at each other and say, if you elect this guy, it's going to be the end of democracy. Right now, it appears in these these very critical swing states, the Trump message is resonating uh, amidst things like the border and the economy and all kinds of things that people say are their top issue and that they also give the the edge to President Trump on handling those issues. Yeah, Super Tuesday coming right up. We uh, That was the first mention we've had of Nikki Haley in this conversation so far. Apologies to her and her supporters and her campaign. But um, what's going to happen after Tuesday? She's going to pick up some delegates here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, does she have the money to go forward and the will to go forward? She has the money. Right now, it's not a donor problem for her. It's a voter problem for her. Um, she's going to keep making this argument. But then when you have things happen, like you've got the Illinois judge this week who decides to kick President Trump off the primary ballot, those are the kinds of things that are going to give her an argument to say, listen, he may not be a choice everywhere. I've got to stay in and keep fighting. They've always signaled towards Super Tuesday. And yes, she's going to pick up some delegates that day. But then the real question becomes what is the purpose and how much longer does this fight last? Um, She does have the money, but she doesn't have the votes at this point. We talked about this last week. Um, Finally, uh, then I'll let you go. Uh, There's a move in Congress to firm up the legality of IVF. It was was already in the works before this decision in Alabama to declare that embryos are are people. Um, 
we talked about this, but is it going to remain a headache for the Republicans going forward? Donald Trump has come out and said, look, I'm all for IVF. Uh, Biden says, look, this is all his fault. <laughs> well, again, I wish that people would read the Alabama decision to get the truth of the matter of what would there was no discussion about lawing IVF or anything else. Now, I get that people worry that the reasoning of the case could lead to ripple effects um, of legality and, um, you know, the, the possibility of liability for these clinics. Right. They got to figure that out. Um, it does present Democrats with another good talking point, I think, for ads and for the campaign trail. But they're being a bit disingenuous about what's actually going on. That doesn't matter. Both sides do it if they have an a issue that works to their advantage. But I think it's going to be on state legislatures to very quickly make clear that they're going to put together legal protections for parents and clinics and doctors. You can watch Shannon Bream hosting Fox News Sunday. You can listen to her hosting the podcast Live in the Bream. Shannon, see ya. Chris, thank you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. This is former Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker with your Fox News commentary coming up. A lot of the packaged foods we find at the grocery store are getting a bad rap in new research on ultra-processed foods, which tend to be high in unhealthy added ingredients. International researchers conducted the largest review so far of the existing analytic evidence involving nearly 10 million people. The results, published in the British medical journal BMJ, show that diets high in ultra-processed foods can raise the risk of 32 health problems, including about a 50% increased risk of cardiovascular disease-related death and a 12% greater risk of type 2 diabetes, drilling down on something many health officials are already concerned about. The American diet is now composed mostly of ultra-processed foods. Dr. Ashley Gerhard, a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan, told lawmakers in December studies have found key signs of addiction with these foods. If addictive mechanisms are being triggered by ultra-processed foods, this may be an overlooked reason why it can be challenging to reduce intake, even in the face of health conditions like diabetes. At that same hearing, Health Committee Chair Senator Bernie Sanders said the diabetes and obesity epidemics go hand in hand. How did it happen, according to the CDC, that the rate of childhood obesity in America has tripled since the 1970s, tripled since the 1970s? The newly published review points to a higher risk of cancer, sleep disorders, depression, asthma, and gastrointestinal issues, as well as heart disease, along with a 21% greater risk of death from any cause. Though there are varying degrees of evidence graded by the researchers on a scale from convincing to suggestive or weak. My first reaction um, about ultra-processed foods being bad for our health is that it's something that we sort of have already known, 
because ultra processed foods contain many ingredients, industrialized ingredients. Dr. Lisa Young is a registered dietitian nutritionist, author, and adjunct professor of nutrition at NYU. They're foods that you can't make in your own home kitchen. They're foods that have a lot of salt, sugar, unhealthy ingredients. So it does make perfect sense. But finally, we're putting it together that these ultra processed foods, which are junk foods, really can increase risk for obesity, heart disease, diabetes, early death, anxiety, and the list goes on and on and on. Let's give people a little more context about what ultra processed foods are, especially as opposed to just processed foods. And I know you you kind of alluded to it in a nutshell when you said it's, you know, they have ingredients that you can't make in your own home kitchen. You know, is this list ever expanding or have has it pretty much stayed the same for a few decades now? You know, we're, we're really kind of honing in and, you know, we're debating certain foods, you know, and where those certain foods might fit in. But for foods like soda, cookies, candy, again, not something that you're making with three ingredients at home, sugary cereals, I mean, these are clearly considered ultra-processed foods. And it's it's foods that have the word ultra in front of processed. So frozen vegetables, for example, are processed, but they're not heavily processed. And so we want to distinguish something. Baby carrots are somewhat processed, but they're not ultra-processed. So when you're seeing something with 10, 15 ingredients, ingredients that you cannot pronounce, things that have added sugar as the first ingredients, a um, enriched wheat flour that's white flour um, that's stripped of the whole grain, that is an example of something that is going to be ultra-processed foods. I know a lot of snacks would fall into that category, too, like potato chips, for instance. Um, When it comes to cereal, I know some of them, the big manufacturers, have made an emphasis in recent years on saying, you know, whole grains now instead of um, the alternatives. So do we have to consider, you know, all cereals and breads that aren't whole grain or that aren't brand, for instance, in the case of cereal? You know, do we have to consider those all bad or is it there's really a distinction there? I believe that there is a distinction. So first of all, you might have something like an oatmeal, like a plain oatmeal, something like that would be, you know, the best. But if we're talking about, let's say, a cold cereal um, and you could have a cereal that is really just a whole and I don't want to use brand, so I'll stay away from that. But let's say you have like a cereal that's like whole grain. And that's the first ingredient. So that's the the most important thing is the order of ingredients. And so the first ingredient says it all. If that first ingredient is whole grain oats or whole grain, then you are in far better shape. And if there's only one gram of sugar, of added sugar, then you are in much, much better shape than you are if the first ingredient is sugar, the second ingredient is enriched wheat flour, the third ingredient is salt, and then down the road, you know, you might have something like a whole grain. So a sugary cereal, something that has more than five grams of, of, of added sugar, a cereal that's going to be low in fiber, those are problematic. This research warns about eating too many ultra-processed foods. And that begs the question, how much is too many? 
Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I have studied portion sizes and I've tracked the history of portion sizes getting larger. And um, in December 20, 2022, I co-authored a paper on my latest work in the American Journal of Public Health. And what we found was that the ultra-processed food portions, those are the foods that have increased in size and have continued to increase in size. So sodas are still jumbo sodas. Um, we've got chocolate bars, French fries. We've got, you know, those hamburgers in the fast food places that are made on the processed white flour, that these portions of ultra processed foods are too big. So often when you're like, how many is too much? It isn't just a number, one, two, three. It's also what is the size of that product? We don't yet know exactly what that cutoff is. But the one thing we do know, Lisa, is the less the better. One of the most eye-opening things about this research is that these kinds of foods, the ultra-processed kind, account for up to 58%, so well over half, of total energy intake per day in the U.S. Are people ignoring the warnings so far that we've had about these foods, or are many just not able to work around it or not work around it easily enough to you know, make enough changes because obviously for a lot of people, cost becomes a factor and time management also becomes a factor. The healthiest things tend to cost more and to be more time consuming to prepare. Yes, that's true. But there are workarounds. And first of all, 58 percent. And I want to just reiterate this important statistic that you that you gave 58 percent of total energy. That means 58 percent of the total calories that we eat. So almost 60 percent of our diets are coming from junk food, just to sort of like reframe that for people. And I think you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to be. It's not black and white, but I think there are small changes that we can make. Now, that doesn't put frozen fruits and vegetables that are in, relatively inexpensive. So we can keep a bag of frozen fruits, frozen vegetables at home at all times. There are things that we can do to make it easier. Canned beans, you know, slightly processed, but again, it's not ultra processed. So keeping those things at home. But part of the challenge is that when we walk down the street and we're grabbing a snack, it's more readily available to buy a bag of chips than it is to buy an apple. So if you just pack an apple with you or an orange and you just make that little bit of an effort, that will go a long way. Drink water instead of soda. That's half the battle. Notably, I think this is one of those, I don't want to call it a trend, but because this is a recurring theme now with multiple studies showing the potential risks of eating too many ultra processed foods compared to other th other things, other things that are trends, diet trends that tend to come and go. <laughs> um, are there any things that you're seeing right now that are actually not working or on the flip side that are helping people? For instance, you know, intermittent fasting. That's been a thing that I've heard a lot about lately. Yeah, I think something like intermittent fasting, you know, it it takes away the importance of what you eat and it focuses more on, you know, when you're eating. But so I'm going to argue that if intermittent fasting works for you, then, you know, go for it. But at the end of the day, it often works because when do you eat your ultra processed junk food? You know, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. 
So I think a better message is to make lifestyle changes and to focus on adding in different foods that you like more of. Colorful fruits and vegetables, start with that. Frozen fruits and vegetables, start with that. And to really pay attention to what it is and how much it is that we're actually eating. Another big focus lately for a lot of people has been trying to eat more protein. Have we gone too far with that? Oh, absolutely. You know, I've been in this field for three decades and there's always a flavor of the day, nutrient of the day. And sometimes it's carbs, sometimes it's fat, sometimes it's protein. And what's happening right now is that people think more, more, more is better. And yes, it's great to have some protein-rich foods at each meal because protein aids in satiety and helps you feel full, but so does fiber. And often when you eat a lot of protein, like the keto diet is, is is in season these days, but you don't even have to go keto to eat too much protein. We're also having a lot of these bars and these shakes and these powders But I got news for you, folks. We are not deficient in protein. That is not a nutrient that we need to worry about. And we definitely are going overboard with protein. And again, it's not just protein coming from fish, chicken, meat, eggs, you know, beans. You can be a vegetarian and get plenty of protein. But it's those powders, those shakes, those bars that do fit into that ultra processed food category as well. So really, if we're looking at the big picture, it sounds like everything always comes back to moderation and balance. Absolutely. Moderation, balance, choose color, eat a colorful diet, you know, and um, eat more fruits, vegetables, whole grains, more plants. Doesn't mean you have to be extreme. You don't need to go extreme. And you want to enjoy your food as well. So you want to, when you eat more healthy, you sort of retrain your palate that you want those foods and then you no longer want that junk food. Dr. Lisa Young, registered dietitian, nutritionist. Thank you very, very much for your time. My pleasure. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Matt Whitaker. What's on your mind? Since the moment he took office, Joe Biden and his administration have engaged in a full-fledged campaign to weaponize the federal government against their political opponents and people of faith. Recently, 11 anti-abortion protesters were convicted for peacefully protesting and praying at a Tennessee abortion clinic in 2021. Their crime? Arriving at an abortion clinic before it opened and sitting in prayer while handing out flyers that shared the value of human life. These pro-life activists were convicted under the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, otherwise known as FACE, a 1994 statute that makes it a federal crime to interfere in any way with a person's attempt to get a medical service. Initially, the FACE Act was passed to protect both the supposed rights to access abortions and the right to protest peacefully, as well as the safety of churches and pregnancy centers. Sadly, churches and pregnancy resource centers 
have been subject to a spree of violent attacks in the wake of the Dobbs decision, to which the Biden administration has turned a blind eye. However, under the Biden administration's weaponized Justice Department, the FACE Act is primarily being used to go after people of faith who stand up for what they believe and protest to protect innocent life. Each of these 11 peaceful protesters now faces up to 10 and a half years in prison and fines up to $260,000 for participating in that day of prayerful protest. Luckily, Congressman Chip Roy and Senator Mike Lee have moved to repeal the FACE Act and replace it with a bill of their own, titled the Restoring the First Amendment and Right to Peaceful Civil Disobedience Act, which would prevent the Biden administration from weaponizing the federal government against Christian conservatives. But the weaponization of government against conservatives and people of faith doesn't end there. In 2021, the Biden administration released a memo instructing the Department of Justice to go after concerned parents at school board meetings after receiving a letter that compared these parents to domestic terrorists. Last year, it was also revealed that the FBI mounted a spying program on traditional Catholics, particularly those interested in the Latin mass, and identified them as individuals who might be part of the far-right nationalist movement. In the eyes of the Biden Department of Justice, these Christian patriots are the actual threat to the American way of life, not the criminals who are carjacking, terrorizing, and even killing everyday Americans in our cities. The administration has clearly made use of the justice system against their political enemies. It's clear they consider everyone who opposes their views as enemies as well. These unprecedented acts of weaponization of the Justice Department prove that the Biden administration is eager to deploy the full force of the federal government against its perceived political enemies, while letting real crimes, such as the D.C. riots and the destruction of federal property, go unpunished. As Americans continue to fall victim to rising crime and violence in their neighborhoods, the Biden administration should focus on keeping our communities safe and putting real criminals behind bars. The Department of Justice should never be used as a weaponized arm of the executive branch to harass, intimidate, and stifle political opposition. The American people should demand better from the Biden administration. If President Biden continues to go after Christians and other people of faith while letting the real criminals run free, Justice remains nowhere to be found in the DOJ except for its name. This is former Acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.